it's always good to see guys that are getting seconds. I know Steve and Bobby were here this morning, you know, uh, in the wee hours to make breakfast, to make bacon. And uh, on the, I don't see either one of them in here right now. So when they come back in here later, uh, make, oh, I'm sorry. Thank you, Bobby. Um, I can't believe what it takes for them to get up and be here and have such a great food so early in the morning. It's a, uh, it's, it's a big week this week for the kitchen staff. They have a lot of activities going on. I'm going to work backwards. Uh, we have a little bit of an announcement, and so I'm going to introduce our trio. And uh, our first speaker is on Zoom, so I'll have to do a little, uh, I'll have to do a little uh, AV work here. Hopefully, I won't melt while I do that. So to end your time together, just one long worship service this I learned this last night. There's one long worship service. It starts this afternoon, and it doesn't really end until Sunday. And I had never understood that before, that we, Monday, Thursday service, Good Friday service, we don't do a benediction. And, and uh, I don't know the exact definition of what a benediction means, but I know we're not really doing one for Monday, Thursday, or for Good Friday. The service starts today and doesn't really end until Sunday. And Sunday after the service, and after someone, Jim was asking me, uh, are you guys going to sing the Hallelujah Chorus? And um, I said, do you like the Hallelujah Chorus? And I said, yes, absolutely. And he really enjoys watching the timpani be played. And Jennifer, whose mouths, um, she and her husband used to be in the choir years and years and years and years ago. And so Jennifer is a, both a timpanist and she's a, a fine singer too. So if you see her, and if you like Jim, enjoy hearing the timpani, encourage her to come year-round, and we'll get more. Those are actually her timpani. She brings them in. She has a truck that she uses to carry around those big, those big drums. So we will finish up on Sunday with a brunch that the kitchen is going to be preparing. And Steve hopefully, was telling me, hopefully, hopefully, flood the coffee in now. You're play. <laughs> and so we'll we'll, uh, we'll have a, a, another meal together to kind of finish um, the Monday, Thursday, Friday, Easter morning kind of process. Um, I as I was thinking about what would be cool, we we moved this breakfast around a little bit lately, Kevin. Poor Kevin says, I thought you said it was always the first Monday, the first Thursday of the month. And I said, well, yes, but except when, right? We've changed it around several times. So thank you if you have had to pivot with your schedule. Um, I, will, I will single out one, one person who, um, this is their second men's breakfast this month, uh, but last Thursday they had to eat alone. Um, that's my fault. And we're slowly working on the communication. So if you did not get if you did not get an email and a text message last week and an email and a text message this week and you want to get an email and a text message will you please put a star next to your name and we'll have a one-on-one -on -one conversation and i'm trying to figure out why we have a new database person who i'm getting to know her name is abby and she has been great to try to explain to me how i can continue to make this uh you know, better each month so that Kevin ends up with technology that works for him as opposed to for technology. Um, so we'll end up together on, on for, for brunch on, on Sunday. Um, this morning, our theme for the men's breakfast, um, I, I'm, I'll just confess it right up front. I'm incredibly excited that we're having our traditional Good Friday service. 
uh, last seven words of Christ. And so excited, I said, well, can we do anything at breakfast that will help really uh, both recruit, you know, so I want you to, I'll, this is definitely an invitational mode. There's two Good Friday services. The youth are doing a noon one in the chapel. Youth-led, not just for youth, but youth-led. And um, since I probably went to my first one when one of my kids was in the youth service, you know, because I was being a good dad and I showed up for that. And I was moved in a way that I had, I, it, was, it, it, it blew me away because the way they performed, there was a drama presentation. And I came away with a whole nother, another perspective on what Good Friday was all about. So if you're around in uh, noon on Friday in the chapel, and then at 7.30, we will have our traditional Good Friday last seven words. And raise your hand if you've been to the last seven words, uh, maybe five or six years ago when we did it that way. All right, so anybody who didn't have their hand raised probably doesn't. May, may never have experienced a service like that. So um, we, sing, we, we sing a song, either the choir does or the congregation, and then there's a spoken word. And then we turn the lights down a little. And then we sing, and then there's a spoken word, and then we turn the lights down a little. And by the end of the service, it is dark. And I encourage you to bring bring people who've never been to our church, bring family visiting in town, and and be a part of that. We leave and we depart in silence. And it's really the only time I can think of where you leave instead of leaving church rah rah with a benediction, we leave church contemplating what that day was all about, and in anticipation of Easter. And I pretty much guarantee you Easter morning we will sing Halloween chorus. And the timpanis will go. <laughs> Her hands will move so fast you can't see them. Um, so our speaker, and I'm just blown away by the number of people who said, who's our speaker this morning, that actually noticed that neither in the text message nor in the email did I disclose. <coughs> we are actually having a trio speak this morning. I'll tell you who they are, and then we'll play a game as to what do they have in common. <coughs> They are Joe Griffith, who will be on the screen here in a minute. He's this guy right here. And I'll introduce him better in a second. Bob Fletcher and, and Greg Lamb. Can anybody guess who wasn't sitting at the table with me just a minute ago? <laughs> can, can anybody guess what they have in common? Anybody want to answer? Guess? Louisiana. Louisiana. That's a good guess. That's a good guess. <clears throat> Either they or their spouses in the choir and have probably experienced this Good Friday service from a, a different perspective. The choir actually does more for this Good Friday service than often we do for a patriotic concert or for a Christmas concert because then we're with like another group or whatever and from a, from a preparation perspective. So the choir is, I think, in, in incredible anticipation to this. And we don't often take time to talk about these words that we're singing. Someone pointed out to me that, you know, they, we were talking about uh, songs versus just written word and how sometimes in a song you listen to the music and you don't actually get to hear the message of the words because well, there's music to listen to too. And our attention gets 
divided. So I'm hoping this morning we really have a time of meditation around some of these anthems. So if I'm not going too far, I'll preview for you um, the, the service on Friday. So uh, Bill Floyd is doing the first word, and then we're singing Lamb of God. Michael Cromwell is doing the second word, and then we're singing uh, a hymn together, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. Melissa is preaching the third word, and then we're singing Nothing But the Blood. Then the fourth word is by for, from Harvey Rest, West. Ooh, sorry. And then we're singing When I Survey the Wonders Cross. And then the fifth word is from Marion. And then we're singing a hymn together beneath the cross of Jesus. And the sixth word is being preached by Jeff. And then we're singing Arise, My Soul, Arise. Now, we sang that, I believe, as an anthem a couple of weeks ago, so you've probably heard that before. And then the seventh word is being preached by Tom, and then we're singing Behold the Lamb. So this morning, you're going to get an insider view of three of those anthems. And Joe's going to start us off with uh, a little bit of a deeper dive into When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. So... Joe, I'm going to switch over the audio and video, and when Joe's up here on the big screen, that will be a sign for uh, you to introduce yourself just a little bit. I remember meeting Joe for the very first time when he was, before he had retired, and he's one of those people, I thought of him as one of those people who can rescue you if you have a travel problem. I'm sure I never understood what his real job was, but to me, Joe was someone who would uh, you know, come to your rescue if you were traveling internationally and something didn't go quite right. So with no better introduction than that, Joe, I'll switch you over to the screen. Okay. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good. Well, you know, it's uh, it is Easter again, and it's a uh, big time for the choir and. We're doing a lot of work here. I'm, I'm Joe Griffin. I've been with the uh, in RUMC about 32 years or so. Mary and I joined back in 1990. And uh, I've been in the choir for about 18 years and I've sung for a couple of three uh, different uh, choir directors and it's been pretty fun. Yeah, Eric was mentioning I retired a couple of years ago at the end of 2018 and our company uh, provided project managers for companies all across the United States and sometimes in Europe. So they're still doing well and I still do a little consulting for them. So there you go. You can't ever leave the job. Uh, the, one of the songs and hymns that we're gonna be doing uh, during the uh, Good Friday service is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And um, we have a saying in the choir, you probably heard it before, that, uh, you know, when you sing, you pray twice. And it's especially true to me for the uh, Good Friday hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. I thought about it, and after Eric asked me to do a little bit, I did a little deep dive on what the little bit of the history of the, of the hymn. And it actually dates back to 1707, and a guy named Isaac Watts published it in the Hymns of Spiritual and uh, Songbook. And at the time, 
this is in England. It, at the time, it was a, a innovative departure, as they say, from the, the old English hymn style for paraphrasing biblical, biblical text. And uh, the first title for the song was actually the crucifixion to the world by the cross of the Christ. Well, a little bit more about this Isaac Watts guy. You probably know him if you look in your hymn book or, or whatnot. He's, uh, he wrote over 750 hymns, including some of the ones that we all know, Joy to the World and God, Our God, Our, Our Help in Ages Past. But the one, this one, uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross is considered probably the best one that he ever did and probably one of the greatest ones in the English language. The hymn itself is based on uh, Galatians, uh, where Paul is talking to the Galatian church. And in Galatians 6.14, and this is from the Berean Bible, but as for me, I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So you'll recognize this verse as the actually the second verse of the song where it says, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ our God. All vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to the blood. Anyway, throughout the book of Galatians, Paul's major theme is we really can't experience God through any legalistic obedience or ritual at all. It's his he was profoundly uh, affected by the cross of Jesus Christ. He says, quote, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is in Christ who lives within me. And that's out of Galatians 2, 19, uh, 2 20, 19, 20. The tune that, that we sing this song to is kind of interesting as well. It was back in 1790, this, this tune was put into music by, uh, of the setting, The Rockingham. And I'm going to have Eric play just a little bit of a, a tune, lest you hear what it sounded like then. And that was written by Edward Miller, who is actually himself a flautist for Handel's Orchestra. So see if you can play that, too, that little clip for me. go not exactly a foot stomper is it so <laughs> <laughs> the uh the later tune that it is sung to most of the time is the hamburg version and again it's from hamburg germany the name of the town and it was an adaptation by a guy named uh lowell mason and it was first written and published in about 1825 and then later it was rearranged by gilbert martin and this 
this remains the most favorite tune of this used in the United States. See if you can recognize this one. Go ahead, Eric, play that one. Oh, uh oh. Oh. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's fighting me. Sorry, guys. There's a tune in there somewhere, I promise. There is, there is, there is. Hold on. Worked for me fine yesterday. Sorry, Joe. That's it. There you All go. Right. So that's that's the tune that we sing it to today, and it's uh, we we it's very very well known, and, and people really respond to it quite well. Now, the real theme of what we're talking about today: why does this hymn speak to me so much? As many of you guys out there, and it really comes down to what does the cross represent to all of us? And of course, we all believe that the cross is the principal symbol of our christian religion and the crucifixion of christ and and his redeeming gifts of his passion and death that's that's really what our whole religion is about and so to me it, it is this song and the cross is the sign of of christ himself and the faith of all our christians whenever we sing this hymn especially on good friday it is what i believe is what being a Christian's all about. And I'll just speak the words for you as a, it is a good poem. And when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but lost and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrificed them to his blood. <clears throat> See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love or sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And that pretty much says it all. One thing that kind of came about last night from Michael Cromwell, he actually said it the best when he was talking about this song to us. He says, it's the last verse that really gets you as well. He says, if the whole realm of nature was mine, that's everything in nature, it would still be a gift far too small for God. And it really does make you think, doesn't it, guys? So along with Eric and their other trio of friends here, we all invite you to the Good Friday service. And when you hear Harvey talking about the fourth word, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We'll be singing this hymn when I survey the wondrous cross. And, and maybe you'll think about a little bit more where it came from. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Joe.
one of the challenges when you uh, are leading worship is how far do you let yourself go into that worship moment yourself? I don't know how ministers do it. I guess you practice and you learn that fine line between being a vessel and being aware of, you know, you prepared something and you, you're trying to keep up with what's going on in the room. The choir has less of a spotlight on them, but still, it, it, one of the temptations is to uh, take a song that you've sung many, 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 many times and go on autopilot. Um, I, I hope that as we kind of talk through these things, both for those of you who are, know somebody in the choir, that we can be fully present in the room. Um, so Joe just talked about the, uh, the fourth word. Um, we're not doing these in any order, by the way, but I appreciate him saying at the end what word his song was in response to. I'm going to introduce Greg Lamb because his uh, anthem is Behold the Lamb. Um, I, I've, I've known Greg a long time and, and a little thick and thin, and we're in a quartet together. And there's one song in particular that he just refuses to sing the words to. The real words, the words that were written down by someone who knew what they were doing. <coughs> he, will, he will not sing in Coney Island, which is a very traditional barbershop. Um, bring a lamb to slaughter. Um, he, will not, he will not sing those words. And so he always sings something else. And when you don't sing the words that are written, we pause and listen to what he's going to do. And so it's always a, a fresh moment to see what's on Greg's mind. But... This behold the lamb, I think he is very true to the to the words on, and so um, I uh, appreciate you coming up here this morning and sharing uh, how this song strikes you. Well, in honor of the vacant, actually used which is appropriate because that refers to the gentleman in the song. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> morning. Um, my name is Greg Lamb. For those of you who might not know me. And you can imagine my surprise years ago when I learned that Behold the Lamb is not really all about me. <laughs> I've sung in the choir for 35 years now here at RUNC, and music has been a, become a big part of my worship experience. Uh, to me, music is, is like the language to the heart, it's language to the soul. It adds feeling to the message. You combine the sermon, the text, and you combine the feeling that comes through music together, and that enhances the experience and makes it uh, more powerful than, than worship experience. The song I'm addressing is um, it's Behold the Lamb. But in, in terms of music, just imagine, Eric mentioned a minute ago, the, um, the Hallelujah Chorus. Take the words, or consider these words, Hallelujah, He shall reign forever. Okay? And then imagine those same words set to the music of Handel's Hallelujah Chorus. It has a much bigger, broader, more meaningful impact when you take our text, merge it with music together. And that's somewhat where, where music fits in my worship experience. Behold the Lamb. It's based on some text from John 1, verse 29. The scene is where Jesus retur is returning after being baptized. The next day, John, John the Baptist sees him approaching and declares, Behold the Lamb, which taketh away the sin of the world. It's also uh, based on Revelation 
13.8. And that is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That text combined into Behold the Lamb was used by a composer and a gospel singer. Her name was Dottie Rambo. She wrote that song and it's been arranged by David Clydesdale is the version that we're using. Uh, Clydesdale, no relation to the horses. And that was written by Dottie. She died tragically about 15 years ago in a bus wreck. The words that in that song are uh, to summarize, behold the lamb, behold the lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. For sinners crucified, O holy sacrifice, behold the lamb, behold the lamb of God. And that is going to be sung tomorrow in tomorrow's Good Friday service. And the most powerful and meaningful service that this church puts on through the year. It means a lot to me, a lot to you. I first heard that a few years ago when Malone Dodson, young Malone Dodson, was in the service, and he would slam the Bible shut in the darkness in that service. I'm looking forward to tomorrow's service as well. I hope you will join us there. Uh, if you have any specific Theological questions, deep theological questions about the service or about the, the music, please let me know and I'd be happy to pass those on. Bob <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I look forward to seeing all of you tomorrow <coughs> in the sanctuary. Thank you. Well, Greg, Greg did a great job of segueing to our. The, the third member of our trio. So, Behold the Lamb is the last song that we sing, and it is indeed the song that ends in darkness. And, you know, it's the song that the choir has, two new people in the choir. Gordon, will this be your first time to sing Good Friday service? It is the first time. This one you better have memorized, because you will not be able to sing in the darkness. And so, uh, or just sing with the person next to you. So who's sitting next to you? Greg? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, Just yes. Greg, well, you need a choir buddy. You need a choir buddy. So sing whatever Greg is singing at the end. <laughs> <laughs> be in good stead. Be in good stead. Um, I get to sing in front of Ruth Fletcher, I don't know, probably a quarter of the time, depending upon where things get shuffled in the morning. And there was one rehearsal that I was in front of her and I was doing this, and I was, <clears throat> I was not happy with what I was doing. She didn't know that. <clears throat> she thought I was doing this to something that she was doing. So often we go through life with misunderstandings like that. And if you're lucky, someone raises their hand and you get an opportunity to clear that up. I have a choir buddy, Joe Steele, and when he's doing this or occasionally he'll do that, that means I fixed something that he had previously done. <laughs> Trust is something that you build up by having near misunderstandings that you fix. And when you fix them, there's more trust, there's more, um, there's more faith in each other. So I never got really to know Bob, except through first getting to know Ruth. 
and I uh, we're grateful for uh, him to be able to share a little bit. I, I I trust Bob. I have no idea what angle anybody's going to put on any of these hymns. Only that I believe that these hymns have these anthems have meaning to them in a special way. So Bob, come surprise us. Thank you. Uh, so I picked this. I, I was not assigned this one. I picked it. It's called Nothing But the Blood. And so here's why I picked it. It's one of my favorite songs. In fact, the guy who wrote it, Richard Lowry, uh, wrote it back in, uh, I think it was 1876. He's written almost 500 hymns. Two of them are my favorite. This one is one of them. The other one is Up From the Grave He Arose. From the Grave. Which I have in the back of my Bible is that what I want to be sung at my funeral. Yeah. But Rue said that that was probably not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> and he also wrote, Shall We Gather at the River? And the reason I picked it is because I got a phone to pick with the Methodists. All right, so here we go. Especially the United Methodist Church here in Rockville. I was raised Baptist. So, and, and the guy who wrote this was a Baptist minister. Which kind of explains it to us. There are some things we don't talk about in Methodist Church. We don't talk about the blood. I, and in fact, there's a lot of people in the 21st century that don't want to talk about the blood. So we don't talk about the blood of Jesus. We rarely talk about spiritual warfare and we rarely talk about the holy spirit so i'm gonna put all that together today and understand what this song is all about so nothing but the blood if you look into the hymnal it usually has on the top of it hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 which says without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins so what is this blood stuff all about in fact, if you listen to the words of the song, it says, you know, uh, it's a call and response type of song. So the question is, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Um, and it goes on and on for six verses. Usually only four are published because nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood is said 36 times in the time it's old. But in any case, what is this all this blood stuff about? So I thought what I'd do is, and I know you guys are biblically literate, but it doesn't hurt sometimes to kind of draw some things together during during Holy Week. Uh, and and so let me draw some some historical facts about Passover. Now, let's, when we talk about Passover, it was one of the three feasts that a Jewish male of twenty years or older had to attend. In fact, it was the biggest feast. And it was representative, I think you it was representative of the time. If you remember when Moses went to Pharaoh and he told him that he wanted the people of God to be released from slavery, and he hit him with nine different things, and none of that changed his heart. And so the tenth um, plague was the angel of death. And the angel of death was going to come one night and it was going to kill the firstborn child. Born male child, and so Moses told the people the way in order for you to get past this plague is to kill a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts of your house. And so, when the angel of death sees the blood on the doorpost, that the angel of death will pass over your house, and therefore, you will be 
not dead but alive. Okay, so that's where this whole thing comes from. Now, here are some interesting facts. First of all, um, when Passover happens in at the temple back in Jesus's time, they would have to have a sacrifice, usually a lamb or a goat, um, and depending upon you know. Um, you could bring your own lamb or goat, but it had to be uh, certified by the priests in the temple, which had to be without blemish. Of course, they always found a blemish, so we had to buy one theirs. <laughs> and that's why the money chambers were involved in all of this, because you had to buy the right kind of lamb. Well, you may not know this, but the lambs that were sacrificed at the temple in Jerusalem were raised in Bethlehem hmm. by the shepherds of Bethlehem. Where did Jesus was born? No coincidence. When are the lambs chosen? They are going to be slain on Friday of Passion Week. When are they chosen? On Sunday, or, which puts a whole new perspective on Palm Sunday, because we now have the Lamb of God being chosen. On that Friday, the Lamb that's chosen to be representative of all the other lambs. At nine o'clock in the morning is tied to a wooden post next to the altar. When was Jesus nailed to the cross? Wooden cross, nine o'clock in the morning. At three o'clock in the afternoon, the lamb is slain for the sins of the people. When did Jesus die on the cross? Three o'clock in the afternoon. So none of this stuff is, it's all kind of put together, kind of works together. So that's where this blood stuff comes from. That the wages of sin are death, and somebody has to die, and therefore blood has to be has to be shed. And of course, <coughs> Jesus is our, our sacrificial lamb. Now, I don't know what the transaction was on the cross. It doesn't that doesn't really hang me up, and I'm not going to spend any time at all talking about atonement theology. Okay. <laughs> We, we even in the Methodist Church have different ideas of atonement theology. Why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't God just forgive us all anyway? Uh, was it really necessary? Was he paid to death? All that kind of stuff. That's not, as far as I'm concerned, that's not important. I do know that when he died and his blood was shed, he took on the sins of all of us in the world, all sins that have ever been committed and ever will be committed. And, and at that moment, when he took upon all the sins of the world, that's one of the reasons why he says, Father, you know, why have you forsaken me? Because I mean, he basically has all the evil that possibly can happen, <coughs> sinless, and he died. And therefore, our sin debt was paid when Jesus died on the cross. Now, let me just kind of bust your bubble a little bit. If that's all that happened, if there was no Sunday morning, if there was no resurrection, then you're still in sin. Because Jesus just was a martyr. He just happened to be one of many that died for people. None of this works if it wasn't for the resurrection. The price was paid on the cross. The cross is the payment. The resurrection is the receipt. You got to have the resurrection. Why? Because sin was defeated on the cross, but death was defeated in resurrection. 
and the wages of sin is death. So both have to be defeated. So the only way this works is that Jesus busted out of that grave Sunday morning. And he was who he said he was, and he did what he said he was, that he did. If there was no bodily resurrection on Sunday morning, <coughs> we are still in our sin. 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, uh, verse 17, when Paul says in the great resurrection chapter of the, of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, and he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So why do we have faith in Christ that our sins are forgiven? Because of Sunday morning, because of the resurrection. How can we say things like, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus rose from the grave, he overcame sin, and he overcame death. And he was the Son of God. And a lot of people say, even the Corinthians, the reason why Corinthians chapter 15 was even written is because there are people in the early church, very early church, 20 years old, that basically said, we don't believe in fine resurrection. We don't believe Jesus. First, first of all, a lot of them were Greeks. And the Greeks says, you know, biology 101 says, if you're dead, you're dead. Your body can't be raised. Nobody's ever been raised from the dead. But here's the kicker, guys. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we're not going to be raised from the dead. In fact, Paul says that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. The rest of the harvest, us, will be following. So when we quote the creed, and I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, that I believe in the resurrection of the body is not I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, is I believe in the resurrection of my body. And the only reason we can say that is because Jesus was resurrected on Sunday. So yes, the blood of Jesus was shed on the cross for your sins. And it only worked because of the resurrection on Sunday morning. So when we sing that song or we hear that song, yeah, it, it's true that we've heard it many times that the blood covers our sin. But you got to put that in perspective that that blood covers our sin only because of what happens on Sunday morning. It's sad. That's why Good Friday, by the way, is called Good it wouldn't even be good if it hadn't been for Sunday morning. It would be bad. It would be horrible. And it would be, unfortunately, insufficient. Because if he didn't get raised on Sunday morning, we would still be in mercy. And we're not. So, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Older I get, the less I believe in coincidence. Um, I did not set this up, but Bob meet Todd, Todd meet Bob. Uh, Todd, this is your first uh, Good Friday service, and your wife is the one directing the song that Bob just talked about. I couldn't, I couldn't have coordinated you guys sitting next to each other, so I'm just grateful that um, 
as we add new people to the choir, you, you, it's it's like adding people to your family, right? There's a, and this is this is really a family. This is really a family holiday. I'm I'm glad to hear the sincerity with which the choir is anticipating the return to this um, this this tradition for us. And I just uh, I hope that you will take it uh, every opportunity you can to bring somebody to what is a memorable and meaningful service uh, on, on, on on Friday evening. Um, and uh, you're going to get to meet Christ in a way that is just, it's astounding. And it's astoundingly new every time we get to do it. So thank you, Bob. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Joe, um, for being willing to share a little bit of how these anthems touch you and your families. Um, we uh, we'll have to take a little bit of time.